Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's done nothing this week except move some logs about. I don't think he's going to try and get five minutes of stand-up out of that. It's Richard Herring! Oh, you're exactly equal to last week's audience. Exactly equal. It was exactly, just not quite loud enough clapping for my like. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to uh, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Uh, I was talking to Steve Austin the other day. Not the wrestler. Not the, not the wrestler, the $6 million man. And he was with Steve Austin, the wrestler. And Steve Austin calls it Rallastapa, so I'm not, not going to tell you which one. <laughs> Pathetic. Uh, so, um... Literally, I've, I've been working all week. I've got nothing for you. I've been... The, all that's interesting to me is that... Um, and it's not even interesting, and it will offend some people. Uh, I've, we have a log fire in our house. It's beautiful, uh, but apparently that's, that's not... You're not meant to do that anymore, right? Because of political correctness gone mad. 
Uh, and we had a big load of logs delivered. And I spent about two days moving logs from the road into my garage and then from my garage into the wood store. And uh, it's the most manly I've felt for a long time. It's uh, You know, lumberjacks are all fine. They chop down the trees. But can they c- carry the logs in a washing basket? That's all I had and chuck them into the wood store. It's quite satisfying to try and throw them into the gaps. It's like Tetris. No. Yeah, I've changed, and I? I have changed since I moved to the countryside. Let's meet some of the audience. It's all familiar people. You're not that familiar. I don't know if my... Is this going to stretch? No. Hello, what's your name? Jess. Jess, how are you doing, Jess? Good. What do you do for a living, Jess? Are you working... Like, let me guess. You don't work in IT, I'm telling you that right now. No? All close. I was going to say you work in publishing. What, what do you do? Uh, financial crimes technology. You do what? <laughs> it's sort of in technology. You work in technology? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's IT, right? That's what, that's what the T... <laughs> I don't know what the I stands... I don't even know what IT stands for, but this, the T bit is technology, right? I do technology. Is that what it stands for? <laughs> what's the, what's, what kind of technology are you, are you working alongside... Your friend finds it very funny. Did you work in the same thing? Yeah, we had this conversation before we came. Oh, did you? You never. No, we've got time. I've got no. I've got no material. <laughs> we've got time. We can find out about our jobs, other people's jobs. You got? Do you move logs around at all? No. Any spare time? Um, <laughs> you got a log? Have you got a real log fire at your house? No. That's why you should be a comedian, not in technology, because. <laughs> Got a very old fireplace. Um, gas and treating's bad as well, though, isn't it, Dave? So, you know, what, you, what am I meant to do? How am I meant to heat my house? Solar power. Oh, solar power. I'm not, allowed to put, I'm not allowed to put solar panels on the roof of my house. It's grade two listed. Put it in the garden. <laughs> I haven't got a very big garden. There's a field nearby. There's a field, there is a field nearby. I think the farm might be annoyed if I put solar panels all over it. You never know. Uh, good. Well, I'm glad you're here. What, what, what attracted you to come to see uh, Rahulastapa today? Uh, it's my fourth time. Is it your fourth time? Wow, that's good, isn't it? It's like a proper normal woman. <laughs> no no offence. Uh, so... <laughs> You're all lovely. Let's crack on. We've got a fantastic... You don't need me blithering. Very nice to meet you, Jess. Thank you for coming four times. Come again. Got some, fan, uh, got some bad news about next week's show, but let's, I haven't even told the theatre yet, so let's, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Our, uh, my guest this week is probably best known for her appearance on Celebrity Antiques Road Trip. That's pretty good, and that's a pretty good one. Will you please welcome the amazing Chaparak Gosandi, ladies and gentlemen. Here she is. Come in. Hello, it's exciting. It's very lovely to have you back. I was saying it's over eight years since you were last on this show. It is. It, do you know, this is the first time I've sat down all day. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here for all sorts of reasons, but mainly comfort. It's nice to sit down and say, what have you been doing? Have you been moving logs around? That's the, uh, all the comedians are doing it. There's the, the logs. Yeah. There's the logs and also dog. I have a dog. Oh, yeah. And my dog takes up most of my time and... Everyone always cuts me slack for missing meetings, being late, because they go, oh, she's a single mum. But really, it's the dog. The dog. It's a lot of work. I've got a dog. Okay, let's not have a competition whose dog is more hard work. But (laughs) I have a crazy um, golden retriever, field golden retriever, not like a 
ploddy one that I wanted. I've got a very athletic dog that needs to run about two hours a day. Right. And then she likes to find the most disgusting puddle that has been pooed in and peed in by every other animal in West London. And she likes to roll in that. Yeah. And then I have to go home and wash her. And then I've got to wash all my kitchen because then she shakes. So when people say, oh, Shappa, your, your career really depended on this meeting and you didn't turn <laughs> up, I say I was scrubbing my kitchen. Scrubbing my kitchen, scrubbing shit off my dog? I was scrubbing shit off my dog, yeah. So it's so nice to be here Good. without the dog. What's that? Is the dog just running around outside in Leicester Square on its own? <laughs> just doing loops, <laughs> loops of Leicester There's Square. There's some good shit out there, I tell you. Oh. Mainly human, unfortunately. <laughs> And then in lockdown, I got a, um, another dog. Okay. Because I didn't know that I had ADHD. I okay. thought I really wanted a dog, another dog. But it turned out that when lockdown happened and all the kerfuffle yeah. of this career went, I couldn't cope with the peace. So I think my brain, when I say I think, this is what my therapist told me, your brain thought of the most chaotic thing you could possibly do and that, is to bring an adult street dog that was completely feral and part shepherd um, into your home and just see what triggers it yeah. over a period of time. So we got Benji and, and Benji and Taylor, my um, golden retriever that I've had since I was a pup. So Taylor's my... Since bi- you were a pup? Well, no, she's my biological okay. dog. Right? Okay. So I've had her... <laughs> They would just fight all day long, and my time in lockdown was spent just getting between these two fighting dogs. Okay. And my children were running around barefoot and hungry, and everyone's like, oh, my God, you must be reading so many books. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> um, yeah, so now there's a lovely couple down the road who um, <laughs> fell in love with Benji, And they said, oh, can we walk your lovely Benji dog? So they kept walking the dog. And after a couple of months, they said, we love him so much that we've put our name down to rescue a dog as well. And I was like, why don't you rescue me? (laughs) Uh, I wanted to go and live in their house. And they said no. But they said, we will have Benji to live in our house. So now he lives five doors down. That's nice. So you still see him? I still have to walk him. Oh, really? Yeah, because I said, I love him so much. I'll still walk him. And they're like, great. And I'm like, really? I mean, some time's gone by that love wanes. Um, I hope they don't listen to this. That me too. <laughs> they probably do. Everyone does. <laughs> and if they don't, someone will tell them about it. Yeah. I might just go five doors from your house and tell people in both directions. And then the other dog, right, yeah. Taylor, because Taylor was my first dog, and everyone said you've got a crate trained dogs. So I bought a crate, and you meant to make it all nice, like, you know, their first home. So I got a picture of her mum. And, and then what, what I did was I went upstairs, and I put the dog in the crate, and everyone said, don't take it to bed with you, because you'll be building a rod for your own back. Yeah. So I went to bed, the dog starts crying, and I can't handle that, because I'm a mammal, so I come and soothe the dog. I go up, yo-yo. I'm up and down like a yo-yo, but I didn't take it to bed. What I ended up doing, I took my duvet downstairs... And I slept next to the dog for six weeks. So now the dog started creeping up to my room once I fell asleep. So she sleeps on my bed. 
and I'm fully crate trained. So it's that's that's what I spent all my time doing, dog care. Do you think the picture of the dog in the crate is your mother though? That's the if you've got if you've got to that point. That's what I love her. Trying. We look alike. <laughs> so is everything okay, Shappy? Are you all right? <laughs> I am okay, thank you. I'm very okay. It's lovely to see you again. Anyway, so I got, I, that's the weird thing about it in this podcast. It has been going for so long. I kind of, yeah. it, can't, it can't have been that long since Shappy was on. But yeah, my daughter's years. eight, and yeah. she was just born when I came on here. Right. Well, she wasn't just born. Yeah, I didn't that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't come in from I hospital. did insist it was out before you came on, so just get that thing out of you, then you can come on. Yeah. It's like, she's so hardworking. <laughs> she's still got a head dangling out of her. But anyway... Yeah, she's eight now, yeah. so she's ready to leave home. Uh, <laughs> Are you able to do, to see her with all the dogs running around in the house and the yes? Now that there's now that there's only one dog again, yeah. um, the children are fed again. But I found um, oh, it's really hard. I don't know what your children are like, but mine are much cleverer than me, <laughs> and they both love maths. Right. And I got a D for my maths GCSE, and I retook it and got an E. (laughs) At the beginning of lockdown, my daughter was six, and I was helping her with her maths homework, and my son, who was 13, sat opposite her, and I was trying to do the sum, and I did it wrong, a six-year-old's work. I did wrong, and she said... And I'm all stressed out about it, because I'm, like, the provider and the teacher now, as well as the dog handler... And then um, I just went, no, it's right, I know it. You know that where you speak to your children when no one else can hear you? <laughs> I know it's right. And my boy was just gently saying, mum, mum, mummy, she's right. She's, <laughs> Vivi's right, it's, the answer's four, not six. And then I, then I cried and just left them to it, really. Yeah. I left the older boy to teach the, the littler one. That's nice if you got that. I don't have an older child, so I have to see... I, I, I did have to do some of the homeschooling. Mm. Uh, and the sec- weirdly, the second lockdown, it was much, much harder. I think that we just had to do more stuff in the second lockdown. But it was, I found it was like when my dad tried to teach me to drive, we had one lesson and I just shouted at him. Yeah. It was like that again. You just got in the car the, and yeah. screamed at yeah. each other. I know how to do it. I know. I know. I know how to do it. don't know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's re- there's something revolting about your parents teaching you something there once is. you're beyond the age of seven. Yeah. It's like disgusting, the fact that they exist, let alone the fact they... My, my son is horrified that there are some things that I know that he doesn't know. <laughs> so he tries to... He's, um, oh, I feel like that woman in um, Faulty Towers, he's very clever. <laughs> um, but <laughs> probably need forensic knowledge of Faulty Towers, which I assume a comedy yeah, uh, audience would. Um, so he, he lays traps for me. To catch me out with things. Like, if I've, if I've corrected him on something, he'll, he'll stew on it, and then a few days later, he'll say, so, Mummy, when, uh, when was Disraeli Prime Minister? And I'm like, oh, my God, Disraeli? Disraeli, um, he was... Um, well, we, we moved to England in the 70s, and I'm pretty sure that it was Callaghan then, and after Callaghan it was Thatcher, so was Disraeli in the 20s and is this a trick question so I said I took a gamble I thought Disraeli was the 60s and my boy just went the 60s I said yes they went you're right mummy which 60s (laughs) the 60s before 
It was the 1860s, Mum. You know that, Richard. Yeah. You're clever. But I had ADHD. I didn't pay attention in school. <laughs> I just counted things in my head. Well, my daughter's convinced Wrong, she's... My, my daughter's only six and she's convinced she knows more than me about everything. She and that does. I'm stupid. And she's just yeah. made that decision herself. And she'll go to her mum to ask for anything. And she won't. But I do find her homework quite confusing, so... Well, they'd learn things differently now. Who was it they said, um, is it Mark Twain? Isn't every quote attributed to Mark <laughs> Twain? That the 14-year-old looks at his dad and says, God, this man's an idiot. He knows nothing. And at 22, he looks at his dad and goes, hey, he's learned a thing or two since then. So <laughs> they'll come back to us, Richard. They might do, they might do. So how have you found out you've got ADHD and that's happened during lockdown? A psychiatrist told me. Right. I thought I'd better believe them. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a surprise to anybody, really, that knows me well. And um, I, uh, in lockdown, it became really apparent because in stand-up, you, you kind of feel at home with ADHD because, <laughs> let's face it, everyone has it. Um, it. And it was, I always thought ADHD was something naughty little kids get. I didn't know the hyperactive part of it could be quite quiet. So, like, you're hyper in your head. So I would um, find stand-up comedy really peaceful because it lets you just not have to deal with any other fucker, just yourself, because everything else is quite bewildering. Um, And also, I used to... um, I used to over-talk, like, just babble, like, for ages. Like, that part of me has completely changed. I'm so chilled out now. Um... (laughs) And also, just at school and stuff, it was really hard. School was so hard. Like, I knew I wasn't thick, but I just kept not getting anything done. And then I saw... And in lockdown, anyway, so this, could, this job went, all the chaos went that normally I just, you know, thrive in. Not thrive, really. A lot of it was really horribly damaging, but let's, let's move on from that. Um, and I had to go and see somebody, and the somebody I saw said, you've got ADHD, no doubt. And then I remembered five years ago, I went to a psychiatrist who said I had ADHD, and I was like, fuck, that makes sense. And I came out of his um, place, and I forgot <laughs> all about it. So I saw another psychiatrist recently who heard me talk for an hour yeah. and said, you have got so much ADHD with starting you on drugs immediately. Did you say, can you write that down? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I I went on um, medication for it. Okay. Which makes that sleepy side of my brain that organises the rest of my brain wake up. Okay. And it it doesn't control... That sounds like it controls your emotions. But it lets you take a step back before you react to things, whereas I would always just react and then think about it later and go, oh, I fucked everything up. And do you think, as a comedian, because, you know, comedians are people as well, but we are also primarily comedians, is there a part of you that would worry that that would affect your ability to create? Or No, no. I would have been a better comedian sooner had I been diagnosed earlier. Right. Um, I have been doing Just a Minute on Radio 4 for about 15 years. I've done it so many times and it's, it's become a joke. It became a joke there that I can never get past 10 seconds, right? <laughs> ha ha, let's see how Shappie's well, Shap beaten her time of three seconds. Amazing. I did it a few weeks ago for the first time with my ADHD drugs. A whole minute. Right. Without repetition, hesitation or deviation. Because I, I could see it and, 
And I've um, about to go on tour with a new show called... It, it was the 90s, and it's the first time I have physically written down my show, and it's the first time that I've gone back to it after a preview and poured over it and had the focus to really structure a show. And it's... I'm like, I can't believe I haven't done this before. It's so much better. <laughs> you know, I'm taking my career seriously. It's amazing. Yeah. Whereas before, I'd be like, that'll do. <laughs> and then I'll better work on it, but I can't because I've got a, all, the, all the other things, the crazy stuff that um, people who have ADHD will know, but we don't want to yeah. bore everyone else. No, it's, it isn't boring at all. It's very interesting. And it's, um, yeah, well, I'm glad that's... It, it, it's it's kind of strange that it's well I suppose it was diagnosed before but it's sort of strange that it's taken like so long for it to to be to be recognised. Well, yeah, because it, it late diagnosis in, in women is rife because women right. are. You see, I hate that term multitasking. Women are multitaskers. You, you're not meant to be a multitasker. You, you you're hammering yourself into the ground. That's not a thing to aspire to do. We're meant to be multitaskers. We're meant to be ditzy, scatty. So like, oh, no, what's Shappy like? She's just like, you know, done something really awful. She's so funny. <laughs> Such a liability. Um, and that's sort of attributed to women more than men, I think, right. being chaotic. And so we're not diagnosed as often and then when you hit perimenopausal you go proper batshit <laughs> and you think oh god i better sort this side of things out good well i'm, gl- I'm glad you i'm glad you're sorting it out that's fantastic thank you very much um let's so let's br- briefly i know you all have talked about this a lot but you've ch- so you've changed your performing name and your writing name or well, not <laughs> changed it you've changed it back to your actual name yeah so your birth name yes of chaparac so yes. you've been shappy as long as i've known you. you've been shappy you decided to be shappy when when did you decide to be when do you initially decide to be shappy was that a showbiz decision or was that a school decision no or? it was in 1990 when i left school and i went to a level college and i had a horrid time at school and um partly because of my name partly because i couldn't right or do maths um no no i um yeah so i was i had all the names as a kid chaparac was shit attack shark attack shabaranks shipwreck shack attack all of those things and i um hated it every time they read out the register there'd be a volume of like giggling and it made me sad so I changed it to Shappy when I went to A-level college. I registered as Shappy and I became Shappy and I did gigs and a career as Shappy and I just got a bit older. And Shappy just sounds like the name you'd give a cavapoo. <laughs> it just doesn't suit a, a nearly 50-year-old woman. <laughs> and it just made me think, like, why I changed it. And it was because I was teased. I always loved my name. It means butterfly, right? And then I was really inspired by... Sandy Newton reclaiming her W, mm-hmm. and like Bukaya Saka and Raheem Sterling um, grew up in the same area that I grew up in. It wouldn't occur to either of them to anglicise their name or make it easier for people to no. pronounce. So I went to Sharpadak, and now I've made life really difficult for everyone who knows me. <laughs> it's really fucking awkward. I should have done it years ago, um, but I didn't. And people tiptoe around me because we are so conscious about misidentifying people at the moment and bless you god bless you white people (laughs) when i when they when white people you are good you you count and 
when they find out my name's changed, I know that you feel that if you mispronounce it or forget to call me Sharpadak, you'll feel like big fat racist. <laughs> and that's not what it is at all. And I'm happy for everyone to call me Shappy. And now I don't really know what to do. I kind of think <laughs> Shappy was a lot easier for everyone. I think I made my point. <laughs> But it's a good point, and I think things. I think that what you said about the, the footballers that you know yeah. it's, it has changed, doesn't it? Because we've moved we, on as a as a culture. We've moved forward. So it, it was, you know, it was a weird thing, and I suppose it happened with the, it happened in America as well, didn't it? With yeah. a lot of people uh, anglicising their names, just like a lot of people in show business as well to make well, it. Freddie Mercury. Yeah. He was the original Iranian that, well, he's not Iranian, I claim him, but he's uh, Zoroastrian, or, yeah. origin Iranian. But uh, yeah, he was uh, Farouk Bolsara. Yes. Which isn't quite as rock. <laughs> but it would be, you know, I don't know, it, maybe it would be. I think if, if, if people just know, if they know you as one name, then it, then it, then it is, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it's sort of interesting that, that I think. Things have changed enough that the, the going back makes absolute sense. Yeah, it does. And I feel a little bit like, um, that sounds really wanky, but before my time. Because if it was today, I would totally be sharp at it from the get-go. And yeah. I'd have a great time watching people mispronounce it. <laughs> but I mispronounce names all the time myself. Yeah. All the time. It took me ages to, um, I don't know if it's a dyslexic thing, but Acaster absolutely foxed me <laughs> when I sort of read it and had to compare him it just didn't work in my brain for ages I'd be one of those people that compares that would say the name so fast while the audience was applauding right. so <laughs> no one saw the hideous mess that I'd made of someone's lovely name so. I guess it's but you know it, it's a thing because I worry about that a lot with a lot of guests and a lot of guests that names aren't necessarily that tricky I do mm. worry that uh, Louise uh, Wenner was on that I got right at the end of the podcast I called her Louise Wiener and she said actually that it is Louise Wiener really but she's, cause she's changed it to Wenner because of a bit living, going to America and you can't yeah. be called Wiener in America and I think I remember that because I think she I think she, that we, I think she originally did go by it but you know but, you, but you're you know you don't want to be it's, it's, it's sort of impolite isn't it to get someone's name wrong but if you've never met them before never talked to them or never asked them so it's only weird if, if you would if I said so how do I pronounce that and you went I'm not how dare you yeah. not know how to pronounce a word you've not seen before? How dare you? Go and learn <laughs> how to pronounce it. Poetic Farsi word. How do you do they not teach you that at your university? But the more you focus on, you know, like I will look, some names I've like looked up, you know, I've gone to other podcasts to yeah. check how they've, other people have done it. And then the more you're focusing on it, then you're much more likely to fuck it up when you come, when you come uh, okay. to introduce them onto stage. Yeah. And also like, do you, remember, do you remember in the 80s and 90s, Siobhan? The name yeah. Siobhan would get us all in a tiz. <laughs> Irish people. No one talks about how much Irish people suffered at the hands of English people pronouncing their yeah. names. So that's, that's a, um, well, the very least of the worries they had, I'll be honest. But... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to diminish their, their struggle. <laughs> oh, I God. think the Irish, though, have deliberately spelt some of those names like that to... <laughs> to fuck you yeah, up. Just to yeah. fuck us up. Do, do you like how I said to fuck you <laughs> yeah. lot? Because mostly I'm like, I'm as British as the rest of you. But when it comes to the Irish, I'm like, yeah, you lot fuck them up. <laughs> 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So let's talk about your stand-up show, which uh, start, is it, you've start, have you started it? Just, uh, I'm it? starting it next week. Yeah. So I did my last preview last night. Okay, and so what is it? That was the night, it was the 90s. It was, yeah. So, what was the 90s? It's about you in the 90s. It's pronounced. (laughs) It was the 90s. That's how it's pronounced. (laughs) So, it's all the stuff that we thought was normal in the 90s that you look back and go, what the living fuck were we doing? Can we swear on this? Yeah. What the fucking fuck, fuck, fuck? it's massively about the Ladette culture and it's massively about um, having no boundaries and having no, no notion of self-care in the 90s. I never deliberately went to bed in the 90s. Like, <laughs> sleep was something that just happened to your body from time to time. And then I started on the comedy circuit, which back then wasn't as all nice and slick and professional as it is now. It was really punk, wasn't it? And it was grotty and grimy, and you just drank until... Either you got some kind of career or you died, right? And, and it was no, that no one questioned how unhealthy it was. And um, yeah, self-care was like having, um, I'm trying to look at someone that might relate, was having a Barocca, um, oh, I'll take the gamble, and having um, a little rummage around um, afterwards to check to see if you've left your condom up your twat. So <laughs> that was looking after yourself. And you went out like, now... Our generation sort of say things like, it's such a shame that the younger people do internet dating because we used to go out on the pool, we used to do it face-to-face, and now they're just, like, basing it on looks. It's so reductive. <laughs> At least they're basing it on something. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, right? In the 90s, I shagged someone because I liked the way he said the word haberdashery. <laughs> and then, I might ask you to edit this bit out later... I slept with somebody 
because a friend of mine told me that he was the lead singer of the Divine Comedy, and he wasn't. <laughs> so that that was the nineties, yeah. and you didn't you didn't go out and have a drink in the hope that you'd meet someone you fancied. You went out and you drank until you fancied someone. <laughs> and we never questioned it. And the, the, the Ladette culture, right? So a lot of younger people don't know what the Ladette culture was. It was we thought feminism was, was emulating the behaviour of the worst behaved men. So it was matching the, boy, the boys pint for pint and never showing any kind of vulnerability. So you were never, even with your closest friends, allowed to say that that one-night stand was really fucked up. And yeah. But they were, because I didn't understand one-night stands were called that for a reason. I used to wake up in the morning with some bloke that I'd met, wait for him to wake up, and then I'd suggest a picnic. <laughs> Can you imagine that, Richard, in the 90s? Some bird you picked up, some bird you picked Look at me with my 90s lingo. I want to put something um, to bed to bed with you. Is that okay. the right? Sorry, I've, I'm. I'm w- interested. Carry so, on. I've wanted to talk to you about this for ages. I probably <laughs> okay. should have done it off stage. But <laughs> by the way, Richard, this, this, is, this is being streamed live. By this the way, this is nothing bad. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Excellent news. So, <laughs> I've, uh, oh no no it's nothing like that you would never have talked to me <laughs> in the 90s you're kidding me um, no when I was in the 90s I never watched telly ever I was always out I lived in a shitty bed sit. I had no reason to stay in and watch telly so now I'm catching up on 90s telly I'm watching black books for the first time with my son it's really good have you seen it um, and spaced I'm watching yeah. now so I never saw your programme. So in the 90s, I knew people that knew you, and we'd go out somewhere, and they'd go, oh, God, that's Richard Herring. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it's Richard Herring, and I didn't know who he was. But I pretend I knew who he was. So fast forward millions of years later, and I do a show called um, The Moon on a Stick. Yeah. And so many people messaged me going, oh, my God, you've nicked that. You've nicked that from... Um, Lee and Herring, and I didn't know what anyone was talking about, but then I saw, and I was like, oh, fuck, because that was, that was a catchphrase of yours. I didn't nick it off you. I nicked it off a Carla, the rapper. Right. <laughs> because um, I met a Carla, the rapper, on Newsnight. Rock and roll. <laughs> and we really got on, and me, him, and his girlfriend spent some time just having dinners, but then they stopped calling me because I just kept talking about my divorce. I lost a lot of friends around then. <laughs> And bless his heart, he was only about 24 at the time, and I kept droning on about my divorce. Maybe I should have tried harder. I just was so busy with work. And he went, he put his cutlery down, and he went, look, you wanted a career and a baby. You didn't want the moon on a stick. And I went, that's the title of my show. <laughs> and then I got accused of nicking it off you guys. But, you know, we, it wasn't, we didn't originate the phrase, so you are, you're entirely... Uh, but people on Twitter were so mean to me about it. <laughs> And I, I explained that Akala story so many times. But yeah. <laughs> trolls don't care. Did he go, moon on a stick? Well, he said if he did, he got it from us. Did he go, <laughs> He's actually sampled that in his next um, record. This you. That's so um, visual. Yeah, there was, that was me licking this. It was Stu who wanted the moon on a stick. It, you know, to be honest... You know, you could have been watched a TV a lot in the 1990s and still not been aware of. <laughs> you know, so I don't think, I don't think we can. Uh, take no, you were you were the cool kids. We were so cool. 
You still are cool. Yeah, we still are. For a dad. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. The new book's great. Thank you for reading it. It's okay. I've had, you read it to me on my audio book. Oh, fabulous. That's what I like to... What were to... you doing while you listened to the audio book? Oh, you don't want to know. Uh, I was... <laughs> I was mainly walking my dog. That's how you, I mainly walk my dog, or sometimes when I'm running. I'm, I'm, you're doing a lot of running and I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing a half marathon. You've just done a half marathon. I have just done a half marathon, yes. Um, but let's talk about the book. Yes. So it's called Kissing Emma. And it's, I, I didn't know, I, I, listened, I listened to it before I then read about it. So I didn't know it was based on the life of Emma Hamilton. Very loosely. Right, okay. Very loosely. So I don't know much about Emma Hamilton, who was uh, Nelson's... Was she his mistress or his wife? She was or the both? love of his life. Right. Um, his wife uh, didn't divorce him, so he couldn't marry Emma. Okay. And she... Uh, so my interest in Emma Hamilton, I did a whole show about her. I wish I could remember some of the jokes, but I can't remember. <laughs> but loads of jokes. Um, so she was the love of Horatio Nelson's life, and she was also really famous because she was the muse of Romney. So people would come from miles around to see portraits of Emma Hamilton. But she came from a family where... She had no dad, and her options were to either find men to, you know, help her in life or die of destitution. So she um, was beautiful and intelligent and witty, and she was very young, and she went out with um, various sort of minor aristocratic men and eventually was gifted to um, Lord Hamilton in Naples... This, this Lord Hamilton's um, nephew went out with her. And then he thought, oh, fuck, I can't marry her because she's got no money. You know that thing about they've got a title, so they need a, a woman yeah. with money. So he just sent her, her to his um, uncle, his, his elderly uncle, and said, a sweeter, cleaner bedfellow you'll never know. <laughs> and she was like 18 and living with this 50-something-year-old bloke. But anyway, she made the best of it. <laughs> and... Um, she ended up hanging out with royalty and she met Nelson and they fell deeply, deeply, deeply in love. And I found some of the letters that he wrote her when he was at sea and he'd write things like, um, I haven't cut my toenails so that when I return, my love will do them for me. Like that was sort of romance <laughs> over Horatio Nelson. And then um, when I researched her as an adult, I found out that she wasn't, you know, she'd worked in a brothel once, right? So the Victorians, when they came to write Emma's history, really focused on that because they wanted to make Nelson about Trafalgar and they didn't want this woman to kind of be part of the history. I mean, can you believe writing women out of history? <laughs> so then uh, I found out that while he was on the HMS Victory and he could see the Spanish fleets, he was about to go and fight the Battle of Trafalgar, he changed his will he wrote a little codicil in his will and he said, um, should I die in battle, the one thing I ask of my king and country is that they look after Emma Hamilton and our daughter, our adopted daughter, Horatia. (laughs) (laughs) So they couldn't say that she was the the real daughter because they weren't married. So that's like me having a kid and calling her chapeau. Um, So, but that was his final wish, Richard. And not only did they not honour it... They allowed Emma Hamilton to um, end up in a debtor's prison. She ended up a derelict alcoholic in Calais, a bit like me in the 90s. They turned (laughs) her into me in the 90s without getting her out of the shit. And she ended up dying of liver cirrhosis. I love where I've taken this chat. (laughs) Um, And I, when I was writing Emma Hamilton, kissing Emma, I had an opportunity to see, like, if you had a girl of a similar background today, 
working class that had parents who don't have the cultural capital to navigate her through a big comprehensive school. I absolutely based the school on the school I went to. <laughs> um, how could she kind of get out of what is expected of her? in life you know um, how can she protect herself from predatory men in the way that emma hamilton couldn't and so uh it's a right laugh my book well you know it's 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 not it's not a comedy but it's but it's (laughs) but it's brilliantly written and it's it's really interesting to see comedians making the transition into not writing novels either comic novels or not comic novels yeah and you're very very good it's a very good very good writing it's it's gripping as well it's sort of it just you know you don't need to know anything about Hamilton. thank you do you know it's have you you, have you you have you written a novel i I don't know why i said that like i have have not written a novel because novelist was my dream right as a child so i always knew i would write books but i also knew that i needed to be out drinking so (laughs) comedy really fit that and then once that calmed down the first love came through and i'm a much more confident writer than i am a comic like if someone like doesn't like my writing i go oh poor you (laughs) (laughs) but it's that terrible thing to say but if someone doesn't like my shows i go you just saw me on a bad night dickhead um how dare you come to my show in a bad mood um yeah i I just feel like with writing i'm i I can read my book reviews properly and i appreciate them and i want to know what people think and i think it's really interesting maybe i just respect Literary reviewers more than I do comedy reviews. But no, I have no um, self-doubt when it comes to That's writing. Brilliant. But with, with comedy, well, not now that I'm on these pills, yeah, well, I'm a bit overconfident. You shouldn't have it with comedy. I think like, one of the strongest things you can do against people who don't like your stuff is, is pity them. I did, that, I did that on YouTube the other day to someone who didn't like my puppet show and I was just going, I just sort of feel a bit sorry for you don't get what this is. And then he would go. He just went on and on, and got he got angrier and angrier that I wasn't that I wasn't taking his criticism. He said, "This is beneath you. It's not good enough." Go, oh, just pity. I just feel a bit sorry. You don't get it. What is the problem with people who, <laughs> who aren't your parents who decide that this is beneath you? It's such a bizarre. People say that to me all the time when they don't like want want something. I was oh, that was disappointing. But it's always about. I think nearly every criticism is about something either within them or you've yeah. you've hit something within that they're upset about. So some people just don't like rude things, or some people don't like yeah. silly things, or you know. And I, what I love about comedy is the variety of comedy, and I love all kinds of comedy. Yeah. So serious comedy is great. Comedians being serious is great. But comedians just being my favourite thing is comedians being real doing something really stupid absolutely and you know and that so if someone gets a i think sometimes people see a room people of laughing at something and go i don't find this funny and then they're angry at the thing that everyone else it's is because laughing. they have no sense of humor yeah. and so they don't understand <laughs> yeah. it's like if you if you love music and someone else loves music but a different kind of music to you yeah you don't think they're a dick <laughs> you think well that's just a different genre of music that you enjoy because it's all a love of music and with um, comedy, it's a very strange thing when people expect you to... The, the, the weirdest thing was, was when people watch a comic and go, well, that was really pure art. Yes! Brilliant! <laughs> pure art's the best. Well, well, also I, I aspire the, to be more pure As if the comedian wouldn't have... Kn- no. What was it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> was I pure art? When I got my dick out, <laughs> was that the kind of thing a six-year-old boy would do? <laughs> 
Uh, well, that's good. You know, it's, you were at the Edinburgh Fringe this year. I was. Twenty twenty. I'll, I'll always be one of the ones that were there at 2021. It was such a delight. I went proper old school right. in Edinburgh this year. I, I did the thing that you read about um, comics doing in the 80s, where they write the show on the train, yeah. and they do it from scratch. And I did it exactly like that. I thought, I want to do a show about the 90s, because whenever I write a book I go or, or think of a book, I go to the 90s, because um, that was when I was in my 20s. And... Um, because I'm I'm undoing so much damage that I did then, and it's fun to go back. And then I uh, did a week, and every night I um, went home and I listened to the recording and I wrote down the funny bits like a proper comic. <laughs> After twenty years, I feel like I've become a proper comic. That's great. Well, if that we you know we did used to in the even in the nineties that was we often did shows like that. We did some shows completely. You know, day one, see how it goes, and then in Edinburgh, yeah, in Edinburgh. I know it it's was... so different. I feel sorry for younger. I don't really feel sorry for younger comics, but it is very different for them now. It is, but it's different for everyone. My manager was saying I should, for my next show, I should start do it, start touring it in March, and just make Edinburgh part of the tour. Mm. Whereas I've always Edinburgh is the point that I go, okay, I'll have a show at the start of Edinburgh, yeah. and I will still write it over Edinburgh. I'll still change it over Edinburgh. But he thinks I should get to Edinburgh with a show that's finished. Yeah, I end up doing that just for practical reasons. So because I've accidentally had a summer where I could practice my show in Edinburgh and I yeah. am going on tour, and so by next Edinburgh, it will be yeah. cooked. And that's not my fault. <laughs> it's not going to be my fault that my show is going to be kick-ass no. by next August. But it's probably a good idea, you know. So like for all the kind of going, oh, no, I should, there's this sort of within me, I think, no, it should be a new show and it should be the first... Pl- there's no reason that should be the case. You know, you can work up a show and go to Edinburgh and take a really good show. I think when you're quite long in the tooth, like you and I, <laughs> we should just sort of enjoy the fact that we don't need to, you know, I don't know, go to Edinburgh <laughs> and have a fucked up time. I think yeah. we can go to Edinburgh and have a nice time now. Yeah. We've earned that. Maybe. It would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be nice. And your dad's uh, your, your tour driver on this tour. He is. That, is. That's, how's that working out for you? Well, my dad... Um, has got really old now. And so my dad's a writer, and he's all party animal, my dad. And he sort of can't really travel much anymore because he's so old. And also, he's been such a workaholic all of his life that he's sort of woken up. He was shocked when I told him I was 48. <laughs> shocked. And he said, I thought you were about 32. And I said, like, no, I'm 48. And like, if you ask my dad what did Chappie study at university, he wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> Neither would I, if I'm honest. But um, so he um, he's feeling very emotional about um, not having that much time left and wanting to spend more time with me. And I'm absolutely manipulating that um, feeling. And uh, I suggested, hey, do you remember, Dad, when I was an open spot? Because when I was an open spot, he'd drive me everywhere i'd have an open spot in manchester and my dad would drive me it would be like those days again but this time you know you can sit somewhere warm (laughs) while you wait for me and so he goes brilliant idea so i've insured him on my car because i won't go in his car jeez um and he's going to take me to bracknell next week wow yeah and he doesn't come to the shows he sits in the car (laughs) and sleeps and writes poems you should get him like you know doing the backstage stuff and lumping stuff around for you yeah, I might, I might decide to be a prop comic just to give him a job. <laughs> Are you paying him to drive you around? No. Brilliant, it's genius. He's my dad. You're saving yourself like 300 quid a gig. 
I know. <laughs> I know. And yeah, so it, it's really nice actually because I've recently learned to drive and uh, I never really had like conversations like properly sober with my dad until I started to drive. We went to Costco the other day and we both ended up just weeping because we were just having this really big chat that we'd never really had before all the way to Costco. And then we bought loads of like toilet paper <laughs> and cried and got back in the car and he's under a whole load of toothpaste crying <laughs> and talking about his childhood in Iran and things he never talked about before because he's always busy, busy, busy. No, it's, it's, it's excellent. You probably get another show out of it. I hope so. Yeah, that'd be good. Costco with my father. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't in Fist of Fun, was it? It wasn't. Okay. But uh, not being able to drive, and it was. I thought you still couldn't drive, and I was going to go. You can't even drive, and then you wouldn't no. have known. But you wouldn't have known what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't going to do it. Oh, and look, since you've been on last, you've been on. I'm a step to get me out of here. Oh no. How was that for you? That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. That was a weird thing to do. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a bold choice. It's not always the right choice. Did you feel it was the right choice for you? It was so neutral for my career. Really? <laughs> it, it couldn't have been more neutral. It didn't help me. It didn't hinder me. Okay. I just went in, sat on a log for two weeks talking to Stanley Johnson and then I quietly left. <laughs> nothing bad happened, nothing good happened. Um, I went on it and they'd asked me for years, but this, it's gauche talking about money, isn't it? So let's do it. But the money was never right. I thought if, if I get something like that, it's got, to, it's got to be like a year of not touring, right? Yeah. And... Um, reality telly, it, um, the, wage, the, the, the money you get differs from show to show. So I'm a celebrity. You get the same money regardless of where you come in the competition. Right. And it is a competition, right? Yeah. The only way you make more money is if you become an influencer. And I already knew that, that I, I don't have what it takes to be an influencer. Because um, I'd been asked... I was offered £10,000 for one tweet... Um, and my agent said they're going to send you some trainers and they want you to tweet about the trainers and you'll get 10 grand. I was like, fuck me, that's great. So I said, I'll do it. <laughs> and because I had to square it with my conscience because I was raised yeah. a socialist, right? And um, I'm now trying to earn enough money to become a socialist again. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> for one post I squared that with my upbringing like that anyway so I'm waiting for running trainers in through the post comes a pelvic floor trainer okay that's what they wanted me to advertise and that tells you a lot about how I see myself versus how the industry sees me I'm like I'm a middle aged mum that kind of still cane the occasional half marathon they saw me as a lady who wets herself when she jumps so I, I didn't put two and two together because I'm stupid. And I've got... Eight, I'm not stupid. I'm not, my therapist told me to stop saying that out loud on podcasts. It was very <laughs> specific. Um, I just... Uh, I, again, knee-jerk reaction. I just put something ridiculous up on Twitter, taking the mickey out of it, and my agent said they're not going to pay you <laughs> um, because it was... The contract said a positive tweet. Yeah. So I knew that wasn't for me. And I was on... Um, I'm a, I, a celebrity master chef, and uh, you, you get a pay incentive. So the longer you stay in master chef, 
the more money you get. And I was pregnant and single, and I knew if I got to the third round, I'd make enough money to give myself maternity leave. (laughs) And um, so I cooked beautifully, got to the third round, got my maternity leave money, and then I made a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Why else would you... The studio was so cold. Why would you want to stay there? So I went and I'm a celebrity, and my poor mum, my, my mum kept this, she bought this big, thick scrapbook to keep all my press clippings. <laughs> there was no press about me. <laughs> like, none of my exes could sell a story. A couple of them tried. Oh, really? Yeah, but the papers weren't interested. And um, the only thing they wrote about me was, my, oh, bless my mum, she said... Um, she found an article and it said, Chapical Sandy's bisexual. She goes, this one says you're a bicycle. And, uh, <laughs> it's the only clipping she had. Um, she's very sweet. She doesn't even know my brother's going to be gay when my dad dies. Anyway, so I, <laughs> so I was on the show and look, I was a fish out of water. I was, I was on with some proper reality television people and yeah. it was really interesting to be in there because a lot of producers think that if you put a comic in with really loud people will rise to the challenge and we're not like that no. socially like if 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 there's really loud rambunctious people we're a bit like have it if you want it have it so i was really really quiet um and like you couldn't have a conversation in there because if you, if you tried to speak you know amir khan would come in and, and go, what crisp flavours do you love? And I was like, oh, okay, we were having a deep chat about her relationship with her dad, but let's go with the crisps. So I just felt like I was at school again with the sporty kids. Yeah, It felt like I was with the, um, yeah, we're going to smash it and, you know, stay strong, stay strong, all that nonsense. And everyone kept performing. And someone got annoyed with me because... They want it. So when you're in there, you've, you've got to make a story, a story that you know that the papers are going to run with. And I'm, I, I just sat telling Stanley Johnson all about Emma Hamilton, <laughs> literally for about an hour one day. I, I just performed my Emma Hamilton show and I thought this will be ITV gold. <laughs> and um, everyone was making a massive song and dance about this big spider in the camp. And they're all jumping up and down and screaming and I just went, um, oh, I'm not scared of spiders. And I just quietly picked it up and put it away. And then it was just a bit like, we were all doing a bit. <laughs> you know, they were, they were all, it was a performance. And I'm yeah. a dickhead. And I didn't realise. I thought, oh, what's the drama, guys? <laughs> you're, you're behaving as though you're on television. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was very glad to be let out. And then yeah. you're not allowed to come back to England. You have to... Um, stay there for the duration in a five-star hotel with your family. (laughs) And it was amazing. (laughs) Me and the kids had an amazing holiday, so I joke that I won. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. (laughs) Well, you know, that is interesting that... um, I think you're right, it's not... Well, it's like... Because it's 24 hours a day as well, presumably. you You know, so to be able to keep that up, you have to be sort of... Insane, you know, like comedians. There are comedians who are never off, I guess, but not not even for that length. You know, there was the fact that there are cameras on you twenty four hours a day from every angle, and you see them. There's a fake rock in front of you, and then like you'll hear a camera a person sneeze, like <laughs> heard you, and then I, it took me ages to realise there were fake rocks. Like, oh my god, 
I just saw a person scramble across there and Rebecca Vardy was like, yeah, that's where they're filming us. I was like, is it? (laughs) So I had no idea. And also, I thought that the birds in the evening was... um, a recording okay. like in uh, Madagascar you know in the zoo where they put the recording of uh, sounds on I thought it was that yeah and then the producers went uh, no Shappy that's real birds <laughs> oh my god yeah you, you know you're in the Australian bush right <laughs> anyway so what was I saying I can't remember what, what you asked me uh, no it doesn't matter no uh, it's <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's lovely. No, I think just as a comedian, it. as a comedian. No, that's it. So the twenty-four hours thing. Um, other people in there were saying, "I want the public to get to know the real me." And I think as a comic, I can't speak for all of us. I mean, I know I work really hard to bottle the real me. <laughs> Like a real, the real me came out once at a party and it was game over. Like, <laughs> the real me comes out and it's just horrible. So um, that fascinated me and the fact that I want the public to know and that mentality of I'm not tap dancing, I'm not doing anything, but the public need to know the real me. It was, it was just, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it was but just also, really... if you're thinking that, then it's not the real... You're, you're yeah. literally putting a veil over yourself and going, I want the public to see what I want the public to... that I imagine the projection of me would be. It's not yeah. the real... Because the real me would be everyone just farting and scratching Yeah, their absolutely. And I was so scared that I'd wake up one day in my hammock with my finger up my nose. Yeah. And that I mean, that would be main... the least of my worries. That was my main worry. <laughs> that was my main worry. And then there's all this... Um, this performative empathy yeah like um you'd have to go around in a circle and like say why you're doing this program i said well you know i i'm doing this for you know my children i'm doing this to give two percent of my fee to charity i'm doing this for whatever reason and everyone's trying to be as good a person as they can possibly be the entire time we had to go around and say um what our our best job was that we had and someone said boots I said life model and then someone went I'd have to say being a mum (laughs) and everyone got up and cuddled her and said oh babe that's so beautiful babe and I was like oh come on (laughs) I don't hate my kids you've now made me feel like I hate my kids because I thought I prefer to stand naked in front of strangers than being with my own children (laughs) There's all of that stuff. But, but also, as a comedian, as a writer, maybe... And I, ten, I tend to tr- shy away from doing anything like that. But maybe you should be jumping in and experiencing it, even if you then the experience is, this is a really awful thing to, to put myself through. Um, Are you glad you did it in the end? Is it, is it, is it, is it, is it something... Or just, do you feel ambivalent about it as well? I bought a house by the seaside. Yeah. <laughs> is that all right to say? Yeah. That's why, I, that's why I did it. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. If anyone would like to stay at my house by the seaside, <laughs> you're very welcome to alleviate my guilt. <laughs> it's good money. Uh, it's a very small house. <laughs> it's a shoe. <laughs> oh, look, it's really lovely to see you. And it's very, all this is um, very fascinating. My, my watch tells me to go to sleep at 10 o'clock. It's just done it again. I know it's 10 o'clock. It's do, do, do. 
Oh, know, gosh, it's talking to you. Bedtime reminder. Your bedtime is set for 2200. I shouldn't have had a drink before I talked to you. I was so determined to do the sober. But then someone offered me one. Yeah, then it was the drinks. It's fine. And I'm so old now, I get drunk on half oh, a glass. Believe so me, you've, there's... That, that we've had people on who have been a lot drunker than this. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even count this as being tiddly. This is no, lovely, though. I love. This is like being on the mothership. This <laughs> podcast, isn't it? Is it? Yes. <laughs> this is like the original. Uh, it's, well, one of them, yes, I suppose. It's been going a long time. Well, it's been going. It's been going yeah. a long time. You, you almost. You're one of the earliest. Guess, I guess, for 20, 30, you were September 2013. I've done about a year, I think. When you, you did this before anyone... Like, I didn't know what a podcast was. I did a podcast at the Soho Theatre and I didn't know till afterwards that it was recorded and it was going to be broadcast. <laughs> I thought it was just a quirky name for a show. Right. I thought his show was called Podcast. <laughs> like Michael Evis and the one that I haven't been out with Michael Evis. That's what he didn't realise as well. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Are you wrapping this up now, politely? Uh, I will. We'll, we'll stop it. I'm just checking. There was. I think there was some uh, something else I wanted to talk to. Well, we didn't talk about. Um, that's a few things. We didn't talk about. Right. So you you you're back into running. You're thinking of running the London Marathon next year. I see from your Twitter feed. I am. So have you done a marathon before? You done half marathons? I've done uh, a couple of half marathons. Yeah. So I did the Ealing half marathon a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still sweating from it actually. <laughs> um, but I love it. So I I, I run like between 5 and 15k a day and then what I do I I take my dog out for 5k and then I take her home this is unnecessary information <laughs> I take her home um have a wee and then <laughs> and then go back out and do however long I want it's just time it's not I mean physically obviously I could handle it I'd probably do an amazing time I probably do I probably get a world record um <laughs> of running um but it's just the time of training. But I am, um, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. I think I think once you run and you get that running bug, um, you've you've got to do it right. Yeah. I mean, I saw. Have you done it? I've done, I did it in 2004, I think. When I did, did you? Did it kill you? Uh, no, I was hoping it would kill me. Mm. I sort of did. Took it on almost as a way to commit suicide. Yes. <laughs> Genuinely, I was quite depressed, and I thought if it kills me, then then at least I'll be dead. So and it won't, I won't have to, my mum won't have to feel, she'll feel, oh, it's good, he was doing something nice, oh. rather than you've killed yourself. So that was my thinking as I took it on, but it actually cheers you up, doesn't it? So it makes you feel well, a bit it, It's interesting, is that because I took up running when I was at the worst point in my life. Yeah. And I ran, and I didn't care if I died. It was exactly the same. I was like, I'm just going to go until my heart explodes because that's how shit I feel. And then miraculously, it sort of gets the old endorphins going and then yeah. you get, oh, I feel so good. Um, and then it becomes a habit and then you become one of these insufferable people that go, oh, don't run, just walk. And after a while, your fitness will go up and your legs will just start running on their own. <laughs> I never ran either. And you know, it's, it's not to lose weight, it's for your head. I'm one of those yeah. cunts, yeah. yeah. It's good. I do it's weight then. Uh, so, yeah, it's... No, it is... I, I, I'm do, a half marathon's a nice distance. I'm quite looking forward to doing the half marathon. A, a marathon is hard. but it's, it's odd. But I, Ultra marathons. Yeah, no, I'm 50 not... 50 miles. Yeah, that's... Like, what are you running away from? Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll be 50 miles away from it 
when you yeah, finish. Yeah, there are some bodies in your, under your <laughs> patio if you're running ultra marathons. It is it's one of those things that's addictive, and I think like as people who yes. can get yes. addicted to things, it's, it's more healthy to, to be addicted. And it really helps with my head, with my ADHD head running, because yeah. it helps me. Like I know if I run in the morning, I have a much better day. Yeah. Like everything goes a lot smoother. Like I'll have a, you know, I won't have an altercation with a fellow motorist. Why are they such cunts? <laughs> I'm so new to driving and I'm endlessly baffled by people. Is anyone in this audience, what statistically one of you must be, one of those people that if the car in front of you refuses to mow down a pedestrian, do you sit behind them and honk your horn? Mm. <laughs> it does it, that is an annoying thing when that yeah. but i guess they haven't seen the pedestrian but it's still massively impatient is it oh you've stopped uh, i mean well, probably for a reason <laughs> i'm gonna do this i i absolutely am gonna do this obviously i'm gonna pick who i have my battles with but the next time someone does that and they don't look like they have a knife i'm gonna get out of my car and go are you okay? <laughs> it's just you beat. I thought there was an emergency. I'm going to do that. In fact, I'm, I might just stop when there isn't a pedestrian <laughs> to do that bit, and it'll be such an amazing tweet afterwards. Uh, well, uh, how long have you been driving? You, you are quite new to driving. Four years. Oh, four years, yeah. yeah. That's why I can't drive myself to gigs. I can drive to... I live in Ealing. Bracknell's really near. <laughs> I'm dragging my elderly father out. <laughs> And he's so small now, my dad. He can't really see over the steering wheel. <laughs> he used to be able to, but they get so small. Is he going to be all right to drive you around the country? Is he, is he... Do you know what I think will end up happening? I think I will drive. Yeah. I, so I can drive at night as long as I have someone sitting next to me. So I made my poor daughter, she's only eight, come to the end of the road festival with me. Um, just so I had someone in the seat next to me. And she could have gone to her mates and had a nice time. And I said, but Vivi, I need someone next to me. And she went, it's 80 miles. You could have just put a teddy bear where I'm sitting. <laughs> I could have. And I just yeah. thought, that's an amazing idea. <laughs> we'll take it on Dragon's Den. Um, teddy bear wingman. <laughs> yeah. Wing person. <laughs> well, look, kissing Emma. Yes. Out now. Yes. Get it read by Shappi uh, to you personally. It's I, I have to add, Kissing Emma is aimed at um, young adults. I like liked it. Early teens. They really made me take out the filthy sex. Well, it was quite... I thought it was pretty rude. For, oh, I was going to ask if he was a young adult, but I thought it's, this is too rude for young adults. Can I tell you what happened what? with my book? Again, yeah. because of ADHD, and I've only started taking medication this summer, and this book was commissioned three years ago, I don't read emails. There must have been a point where I was told it was for young adults. <laughs> but I missed that information. So I couldn't understand why with every draft... And people in the literary um, world are so polite. They'd be like, um, could you maybe allude to this happening rather than describing it quite so graphically and that kept on happening and I was like who are these puritanical people and then when the press release came out it said it was aimed at 12 to 15 year olds I wrote 
an email to the publishers and said, look, I'm really sorry, but I didn't understand the age group that I was aiming at, and I want you to know that there is no way on no planet that I think the original anal sex scene that I wrote was appropriate for 12-year-olds. And again, they're so polite, but this time they just think like, there's something wrong with me. They're like, oh, it's Chappie, that's fine. It's been lovely to work with you. And you know they're never going to Well, a couple, a couple of the anal sex scenes remain in it. So it's, uh, they've, they've, they've well, that'll be it. the editor's negligence, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> Katie writes, my wife writes uh, books for kids, and uh, she's not allowed to have you people kissing in them. I know. And they're for, 12, they're for 9 to 12-year-olds. I know that so it's now. A big, it's a big step up. <laughs> I've got to be 12, I get to... Re- fucking hell. <laughs> kiss, for, kiss before the anal sex. That's what I said to Catherine Ryan. Kiss first, then anal sex. Uh, well, there's that, and there's... It was the 90s! It was the 90s! Uh, yes. Which is touring all over... Being, if you can get there, if your dad gets there... Yes. Uh, <laughs> do you know, I'm so serious in podcasts. I always really worry, but um, I'm not serious in my comedy shows. It's so weird. It's so weird to just be such a serious person in You've been very funny in this life. podcast as well. Oh, no, it? I wasn't it's okay. fishing. I it's okay to be was. Se- it's okay to be serious too, but you've been very, very funny. Serious. It's okay to be serious. They keep asking me to go on question time. Yeah. The fuck? Why can I get on Question Time far easier than I can get on, like, a comedy panel show? We'll get her in. She's a very articulate brown person. It's really weird. Yeah, well, it's, if, I think, like, it's, I wouldn't do Question Time. No, why would you? You have other options. But, well, no, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, but I would just because I don't think I know enough about stuff to do it. Mate, I mean, that hasn't stopped me. Well, but that's... But I wouldn't. But I think you know. I think if they're asking you back, that means you're doing well. It's not worth it, though. It's not worth the trolling. And then it's like you do that, and then you get asked to do loads of stuff. And the next thing I know, I'm on like you know Newsnight again. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? This wasn't the dream. <laughs> anyway, on that note, <laughs> can you just this edit wasn't... this down to this wasn't the dream? <laughs> Should just put live that streamed. We in live stream. <gasps> All of this is so modern. We don't have live streaming in our day. We could say whatever we wanted. Have I said anything that might cancel me? No, but, you know, there's people here anyway. The live stream is just some people who can't be bothered to come out. So if you say something, they've still heard it. So it's not like they're going to go, oh, we've all signed a thing that we won't say anything. So it'll be all right. You haven't said anything too bad. It's been so nice to talk to you. It's been lovely. I've liked the company. Me too. been on my own all day. (laughs) Just me and the dog. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big round of applause to Chaparac or Sandy. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week with Phil Wang and some, maybe someone else as well. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Chaparak Kursandi. The music is by Scant Regard. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. Thank you very much to Chris Evans, not that one, for all the hard work he does and all of his fantastic team at Go Faster Stripe. Uh, thank you very much to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for having us here. And thank you to... 
Kathleen McKeegan for research at Rahalastapa, rahalastapa.com. Always worth a look if you fancy it. It's a Sky Potato. Fuzz and GoFuzzTheStrike.com production. Go to richardherring.com to find out when more Rahalastapas are being recorded and go to gofasterstripe.com slash badges to become a monthly badger. Get all kinds of benefits, badges, backstage interviews, loads of other extras, cut price tickets, all sorts of things. You know you want to do it, so you should do it. Go on, do it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.